Let me just tell you, I have um, not gotten over how weird it is to be here and you guys not be with us. I am chomping at the bit for the day that we can uh, gather back together and uh, respect social distancing, all that stuff. But I, I, I want us to be together. But, but I'm, what I'm really grateful for is that while I don't see you here, I, de- I do see you out there. It has been such a pleasure to watch our church family be the church. You know, since this began, we decided that we were going to um, do our part to help some of our families that have been uh, impacted by the economic downturn as a result of COVID-19. And uh, so we started a CV-19 relief fund, and it has been amazing to watch you guys give with an incredible spirit of generosity and to, to hear the stories of, from the families that we have been able to invest in. It, I, I wish you could hear them. Uh, I'm really grateful just to be a small part of this fabulous church family that understands exactly what it means uh, to be the church. So keep up the good work. Let me encourage you, if you, if you haven't jumped on that train, uh, it hasn't left the station yet, you can uh, go to our website and click the giving tab and you can join in investing in our church ministry as well as those in need. But, but thank you so much. It has just been an encouraging sign uh, that God is at work here He's alive, and you, he is making a difference through you. So thank you so much. It, it has been a real encouragement to us. One of the um, interesting byproducts of life in quarantine is that, that it's given us the ability to, and, and maybe even forced us to, distill life down to the essentials. Uh, We know the government has declared their perception of essential businesses. Uh, When we go shopping, we may buy extras, but the truth is we're really on a hunt for the essentials, which curiously now are defined as stuff I can't find anywhere. And, And they've been changing. This past week I read an article Uh, that interviewed the CEO of Walmart. His name is Doug McMillan. And he commented that in the first days of the quarantine, it was all about toilet paper and hand sanitizer. And now that your closets are stocked full of those things, the, the hunt then transitioned to board games and bicycles. And today he said that people are looking for grooming products and hair color. You, you know, the essentials. But this movement hasn't just affected where we go and what we buy. The the move toward the essentials has also uh, trimmed a lot of fat out of our lives. In some some ways, things have become refreshingly simple as we've kind of stepped back and worked to identify what is really important. 
And this move toward the essentials was on my mind as I was considering, where do we go now as a church family? What's important for us to hear from God as we navigate these the turbulent waters that we're swimming in? And I decided that we should really just go with the trend and dive into the essentials of our faith. And, And here's the question that was guiding me. What is the essence of a life committed to Christ? What is the essence of a life committed to Christ? And as I thought through that, I I realized that when it comes to getting to the core of our faith, no book in the Bible does it better than the book of James. So today we're going to begin a study in James, and, and we're calling it Get Real. And the reason is because I believe that if we ask James, if we sat him down, if we could do that, if we sat him down and said, James, what is it you were getting at? What was the, your main thought? Sum up your letter in two words. I believe he would say, Get Real. See, James was an intensely practical man, so his writing doesn't really focus on, primarily focus on what we should think, but really he focuses on what we should do. And and the whole letter, which can be read in 10 minutes, is a pamphlet that challenges the follower of Jesus Christ to get real. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of James. If, if finding a book of the Bible is new to you, then just go all the way to the back of the book of Revelation and turn about five or six books forward, and you will come to the book of James. I'm, g- I'm going to begin reading in James chapter 1, verse 1. But before we do that, let's just pray and ask God to uh, bless our time in the Word with His presence and His wisdom. Father, We are grateful that we have the freedom and the privilege, no matter the challenges, to gather together around your word. And I pray, Lord, that today, by your spirit, you would give us divine insight into your truth. Our our goal, Lord, is to get real with our faith. And so, Father, today, as we begin this journey through James, I pray that you would speak. Open our eyes that we can see wonderful things in your word. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now let's look at the intro, just one verse, James chapter 1, verse 1. Here's here's the way the letter starts. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Now, James introduces himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a relatively predictable introduction to a profound work of faith. But there's actually more than meets the eye here. The the Greek word that James uses, which which we translate servant, excuse me, do I have another mic? The Greek word, we'll try it again, the Greek word he utilizes for servant is the word doulos. And that word actually means slave. 
Now, there, there are lots of different connotations of slavery, but according to the New Bible Dictionary, a slave in their, their culture was, and I quote, like any other form of personal property that could be used and disposed of in whatever way the owner wanted. So James here wasn't just simply saying that he was a servant. He was declaring, thank you. He was declaring, here we go. He was, by the way, this is going to make a lot of sense to you when we get to the part that says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, even trials with the sound system. So James wasn't saying that he was just a servant. He was declaring that when everything was distilled down to its essence, James saw himself as a slave of God. Now, Think about it. That's a pretty shocking way to introduce yourself to a group of people that you don't know. The better choice would be what we normally do is present our our loftiest, most laudable credentials because we believe those credentials give us credibility. And James had some serious credentials. He, He could have begun his letter like this. He could have said, James, the leader of the church at Jerusalem. Now, that would have established credibility because here's the truth. He was, in the body of Christ, the biggest fish in the biggest pond of Christianity. It was true. He was the authority figure. He was the leader of the early church. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 21, when Paul decides to make his way back to Jerusalem to give a report about what's going on with the evangelization of the Gentiles, Dr. Luke says in verse 18, the next day Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. It was a very clear indication that James was the man in charge. He could have also begun his letter with the biographical tidbit that Paul reveals in Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, where he identifies James as the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to credibility, what more could you ask for? He grew up in the same home as Jesus. He probably shared a bedroom with him. And and that was a common experience that no one else in the body of Christ could say. But he, he didn't make his way claiming to be the brother of Jesus. James made his way claiming to be a slave to his big brother's cause. And so what James really wanted his audience to understand with that declaration is that he was nothing of his own accord. He knew that he was bought with a price and he was not his own. So because of God's goodness and mercy, because of the shed blood of his big brother, he was gladly submitted to God as a slave. Now that's remarkable. Because here's what it means. James understood that his significance came not from who he was, but from whose he was. And that knowledge, whose he was, became his true north. And it it was guiding every thought and every action. And what pours through the pages of his pamphlet is that he believes that every true follower of Jesus Christ 
should be identified, should identify themselves as a slave of God. Now, let's just take a deep breath here and let me ask you a question. If God tapped you on the shoulder and he asked you to write a letter on his behalf to encourage believers, how would you introduce yourself? What would give you credibility? Would you introduce yourself as a slave of God's? Or if you were doing it honestly, would you say, mm, part-time servant? Maybe fringe follower. Maybe even secret agent. Because nobody knows. See, James would say if we get real about what we're called to do, we would classify ourselves as slaves. So it's James the slave writing the letter. But who's he writing to? He calls them the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Now, some think that the 12 tribes point to the fact that he's only writing to Jews, but the more likely scenario is that he was referring to all followers of Jesus Christ, just as Paul was in Galatians when he calls believers the Israel of God. But more important than wrestling with who he was specifically writing to is the question, why was he writing to them? He refers to them as the scattered among the nations. Now, why were they scattered? In, in one national disaster after another, countless thousands of Jews had been deported from their native land and dispersed or scattered all throughout the Middle East. And it, it is to the Christians, the Jews and the Gentiles in that group of expatriated communities that James is writing. Okay, here, here's what American scholar Lewis Evans says about this group of people. Listen to what he says. Those of the dispersion, the scattered, were those in captivity, in slavery. Israel and Judah had been taken captive. They had been torn away from friends and country. They had suffered all the indignities of a conquered people. They were starving, homesick, the most loathed of men. And in these community of, communities of Jews, the believers were further ostracized finding themselves to be the rejects of rejects. Lewis goes on to say, under the heel of the pagan conqueror, it would be natural for them to cry out, where is God? And James writes to tell them. First things first, James addresses the elephant in the room of those communities. And that is their hardships. Look at James chapter 1 beginning in verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, the first thing they needed to understand as believers is that they were not exempt, not exempt from tests and trials. They weren't exempted from them. They were bettered by them. Now, now I don't know that this group of castaways was subject to the false teaching that we in the Western world are subjected to, namely that an active, vibrant, conquering faith will protect us from hardship. That's a lie. But if they were thinking that way, James says, listen, get real. That's not real. You will face trials. As a matter of fact, it is not if, but when. Whenever you face trials, they are coming. As a matter of fact, they're here. We're living in them. But he doesn't stop there. James goes on to say that what separates a follower of Jesus from anyone else facing trials is that we can do it with pure joy. And that's not just some joy. That's not just putting a smile on our face or going through life with a stiff upper lip, we can face trials with pure, unadulterated, overflowing joy. How's that going for you? How can we do that? How's it possible? Because listen... God has a plan for our trials because He has a plan for us. And He he doesn't just have a plan for some of our trials. He has a plan for all of our trials, no matter where they come from. Now, I said that strategically because a lot of times we, we wrestle around with where is this problem coming from? What is its origin, its source of origin. The reality is that trials come from three different places. Okay, They come from the wiles of our enemy, Satan. And the reality is that, that Satan addresses us with trials and tests to reveal our weaknesses in hopes that we'll stay in them. Second, trials come from life itself. Life happens. And we, we have to say, admit that God allows these kinds of tests because He's a sovereign and could stop them. But the truth is, because we live in a fallen world, we are tried and tested. 
And then the third source of our trials is God himself. We are tested and tried by God himself. Now, we might have the idea that it's only the trials that are sent by God that can bring us joy. Okay, because they originate with God. God is a good God who has our best in mind. And so those are the ones that we can consider with pure joy. But the fact is, James is teaching here that wherever they come from and whenever they come, they should all trigger pure joy in our lives. All of them. Why is that? Because the trial, listen, the trial represents an opportunity for the tested. It's not about the tester. It's an opportunity for the tested, not the tester. See, the trial is an opportunity to prove and improve. In trials, we prove what we're made of, and at the same time, we improve durability for what we were created for. Okay, now, I, I want you to think, let's just do a thought experiment here. I want you to think about testing a pickup truck, okay? I don't care which one. I'm not trying to start a fight between you guys who are Dodge and Chevy and Ford. I don't care about that. But let's just say that we're testing an F-150, okay? Or an F-150 is being tested. Now, if, if the test is being conducted by a competitor like Chevrolet, the motivation for that test is to reveal flaws and exploit them, right? And so from Ford's perspective, this test certainly comes from Satan. <laughs> it's the wiles of the enemy. Now, if the test is being conducted by an independent source, like Car and Driver or Consumer Reports, that trial is designed to discover strengths and weaknesses for the purpose of comparison with other trucks. How does the F-150 stack up against the Nissan Titan? That is kind of a life happens test, okay? Because you're a truck, you're going to be tested. Now, if the test is conducted by the maker, by Ford itself, Ford is testing for strengths and weaknesses. And when they find strengths, they're going to promote them. And where they find weaknesses, they're going to seek to improve them. This is like the test that originates from our Creator. But here's the deal. If the truck could talk, and I know trucks can't talk. The little thing in the dashboard might be able to talk, but trucks can't talk. But if this truck could talk, and it was made of the right stuff, it would say, I don't care, test me. Bring it on. And it would enter those tests joyfully because at its core, a healthy truck with a good self-esteem, <laughs> a healthy truck with a good self-esteem would believe that it was made for that kind of testing and would be chomping at the bit to prove its worth. Now, that may be silly, but it proves the point. The testing of the truck is not about the tester, it's about the truck. And I think what James is saying is that it doesn't matter where the test comes from. 
It doesn't matter why the test was designed. If you have the right understanding of tests and you have the right approach to them, then you can welcome them with joy because of what they do to prove and improve you. To prove who you are and improve your effectiveness. See, tests give us two distinct opportunities. First, they give us the chance to show whose we are. Whose we are. See, it's because Christ is in us. It's because we're His children that we can do all things. It's because we are His that we enjoy His strength and we are more than conquerors. And so if we approach the test with joy, then we're letting the light of Christ shine through us and that light always shines brightest in the dark days of testing. Those tests give us an opportunity to prove whose we are. Second, they give us a chance to improve. Look at verses 3 and 4. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And so let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Listen, those tests develop Perseverance. And then perseverance enables us to become fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. Working through one test prepares us, gives us the strength we need to work through the tests to come. And when we come to Christ, we are certainly changed in the twinkling of an eye. The Scripture says that the old is gone and the new has come. But here's what we have to understand. While we aren't who we were, we aren't yet who God has called us to be. There is room for growth and improvement. And perseverance, which is developed in testing, is what takes us there. And so we can look with joy at these tests because we understand that God is going to leverage them to help us become all that He created us to be. When when we can consider tests with pure joy, because we know they're taking us to the place Christ created us to go, to a deeper, more fulfilling, more fruitful journey with Him, But listen, we can't get there on our own. In my strength, when I'm struggling with a test, there's no joy in Mudville. I can't get there. And what James wants us to understand is we need God's help, we need God's wisdom. And He's willing to give it to us. As a matter of fact, He's delighted to give it to us. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Listen, here's the truth. The ability to consider the testing of our faith as pure joy 
comes from God. Specifically, it comes from God's wisdom. So in the trials, as we see the waves approaching, we should ask God for the wisdom we need to squeeze the most out of the opportunity that is introduced to our lives through the trials. And the good news is He will provide it generously to all without finding fault. And, and how does He provide it? He provides it through prayer. That's why we have to ask. He provides it through Scripture. It is the light that lights the path for us to travel. He provides it through the wisdom and faithfulness of our mentors and our friends. God provides that wisdom. And He'll hit, it, hit us with it from every direction. But when he provides it, we have to get real and apply it. We can't doubt it. We have to trust it. Look what he says in verse 6. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Look, here, here, here's the deal. God, His plan is to redeem the tests. But we have to trust that. We have to turn to Him for that redemption. And when He reveals what He's up to, or He reveals the, the next open door that we should pass through, we have to trust the plan. And let's get real. The evidence that we are trusting the plan is that we follow it, that we are committed to living according to his wisdom. Look, all of us are going to be tested. But those of us who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ can enjoy God's redemption of those tests. You guys have no doubt heard the statement, God don't make no junk. It's not grammatically correct, but it communicates, right? God don't make no junk. Here's what I want you to think about today. God don't test no junk either. Okay, we don't test scrap metal. We test trucks that are designed to move with a purpose. And if we're going to become all that God wants us to be, all that He called us to be, then we have to understand that those tests and those trials are critical. They are a critical part of proving whose we are and improving our durability for our mission. God has a plan for the trial. Now listen, we are in one right now. We are all of us 
being enveloped by the waves of testing. Are you considering those tests pure joy? Are you operating with the wisdom of God that says, I've got a plan. I've got a plan for you. I'm going to make you better. Don't get bitter. Pursue what's better. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance and perseverance must must finish its work so that we can be mature and complete not lacking anything will you pray with me father We're so thankful that through your servant James, you have given us insight into how you're making sense, how you're redeeming the circumstances we find ourselves in. And Lord, we we know that in these tests, these dark times, it would be easy to sink into darkness and despair. But we understand, Lord, that we are the light of the world. We have your light living in us. And we know, Lord, that if we respond with pure joy to these trials, that your light's going to shine. It's going to give hope to others. So, Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom. That you would help us see and understand and value the test. Because... Those tests can prove whose we are and those tests can improve us for the calling we have received. We're yours, Lord. Try us now and see. See if we can be completely yours. Grace us with pure joy so your light will shine in the world you've called us to serve. It is in the strong name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Let let me just address the fact that maybe some of you have tuned in today because of the trial because of the test and and you aren't sure where to go or what to do I, I don't think it's by accident that you have tuned in today and my conviction is that God wanted you to hear this glorious good news this trial will be redeemed because Christ was resurrected Here's the truth. Christ came to live in in this world to face trials and temptations and tests just like we do. And at the end of his journey, though he was perfect, never failed, he was crucified. He died on the cross. 
He died on the cross, was buried three days later. He was resurrected so that we would know that God is the victor. That he is the conqueror. He's conquered the grave. He's conquered death. He's conquered darkness and despair. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. We can place our faith in the resurrected living Lord Jesus and be changed in the twinkling of an eye and begin this journey with him toward maturity. And along the way, here's what you'll see. God's redeeming the tests. God's redeeming the tests. What separates believers from non-believers is that we know how it ends. We know that God has given us victory. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ today, He died to invite you into that victory. The victory over despair, hopelessness, and darkness. And listen, the work was done. All you have to do is place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can just say right where you are, Lord, I, I, I do believe in Jesus. I want to live in the hope that He provides. And then you'll begin this glorious journey, a journey that's not going to be absent of tests and trials, but the ones you face will be redeemed by your Heavenly Father. My, my prayer for you today is that you'll open your heart to Christ. And for those of you who have been walking with Christ, I trust that you're going to be leaning into Jesus, leaning into God's wisdom, so that you can count the trials that we're facing. Consider them with pure joy. Listen, God bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you and give you peace. I'm looking forward to seeing you Wednesday night for Bible study and next Sunday morning as we continue our study in James, Get Real. God bless you and have a great day.